it's it's not really so much about the ideas, it's about the execution. Everybody has an idea. Um, so focus on what matters, uh, on whatever you're building, and don't listen to the noise and 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 don't you know don't be fancy. Hey guys, welcome to Startup Hand-Me-Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu, and thank you so much for giving me your time. I promise it'll be worth it. So today I had the pleasure of interviewing Ramon Van Meer. Ramon is a serial entrepreneur and in my opinion, what I would call a serial hustler. He's a different kind of entrepreneur, not a tech savvy, tech startup kind of guy, but more of a methodical, how do I drive more traffic and monetize it kind of guy, if you catch my drift. On this episode, we discuss how to create engaging content and drive huge amounts of traffic to your site. We also discuss how Ramon started a soap opera blog which he ended up selling for nearly $9 million without ever watching a single soap opera. All right, let's jump into the action. So Ramon, thank you so much for coming on the show today. No, thank you for having me. This is, uh, this is awesome. Yeah. So when you are out and about, how do you introduce yourself to people? I introduce myself uh, as Ramon Van Meer. And that's it. That's, <laughs> that's yeah. it, no more. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Uh, if people ask, what do you do? How do you, how do yes. you navigate that question? I know. So <laughs> my friends tease me all the all, all Like I'm horrible at pitching myself and introducing, especially here in San Francisco. Everybody is really good at making themselves look, look more important than they are. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, everybody's pitching is so like, uh, I, I'm more like, a, like I'm a little bit an introvert and I also don't like to talk about myself, but if people ask me what I do, um, I buy and sell businesses and, uh, online, uh, businesses and from e-com business to a SaaS or anything that as long as it's online. Um, that's what I do. Uh, I see myself more like as a real realtor or like a house flipper, right? You buy an online business mm. that uh, has some revenue, some uh, cash flow, but you think you can optimize it better or you can make some changes that will increase the revenue and then you resell it uh, in a year or two or three years. Nice. So it's kind of like private equity on a smaller yeah. scale. Yes, small, very small scale. Uh, I look for sites uh, up to a million dollars uh, asking price, uh, so to speak, um, and then get everything in-house, improve uh, commercial rates, traffic, increase traffic, uh, increase revenue, improve re- profit, yeah. put in processes in place, yeah. and then resell it. All, all, because, all, the, all the things that you're amazing at <laughs> so and, and we're going to talk a little bit about that shortly um okay so before we get into you know the first business i guess you you know scaled up and, and sold ultimately um let's let's start from the beginning so so you're not originally from san francisco is that correct 
No, I was born and raised in uh, Holland, in a city called Den Haag. Um, it's like 30 minutes out of uh, Amsterdam uh, in the Netherlands. Yeah. Uh, and uh, moved 10 or 11 years ago to the United States. Nice. And in Holland, did you show traits of entrepreneurship? Uh, you know, like what was early life like growing up? Yeah. Um, so I probably only when I was 18, 19, I've uh, very briefly hold a job. Um, but besides that, I've always had uh, my own business. Uh, and they ranged from all over the board. Like I had a construction company. Um, for a couple of years, uh, that grew really fast. Actually, uh, within the first year, I was went from uh, just be just me to 22 uh, employees. Wow! Uh, but I was unexperienced. Um, construction is a difficult uh, model because it, it it requires a lot of cash flow. So I made some mistakes, and you know, it didn't end well. Uh, I, yeah, all kinds of business construction, web design. Um, selling piñatas online, uh, <laughs> uh, promoting parties. Yeah, I've done. Uh, I've done a lot of things. You're just hustling and bustling, just trying to figure some stuff out. Just yes, just trying to f- figure, try things, not being afraid. You know, take the risk and then see see if it works or if it doesn't. And where and did learn you, along the way? And where did you get the? I guess the confidence or the idea that you know, this is something I'm going to do. Was it from parents? Was it from friends? You know, growing up in Holland, I mean, was it encouraged to do that kind of thing? So in Holland, uh, I think in, in, you know, it's maybe an assumption, but I think in Europe in general, it's it's not as entrepreneurial friendly as, for example, the United States. Mm. Uh, so Holland, it's not so much that, um, you know, entrepreneurship, especially, you know, we're talking 20 years ago, uh, Back then, entrepreneur it was not a fancy or like was not uh, a trend, uh, to, you know, uh, like nowadays. Um, so it was definitely not encouraged. But it was very difficult, actually. A lot of rules were like relations, super high taxes. So it was difficult to start a business in Holland. Um, I, I think, uh, I don't know, it's just it came natural to, to me. Like, so... I wish I had a better answer, but it's just like <laughs> always, since I always remember like trying to, you know, buy something in the, you know, like I forgot the name, but like the secondhand page in the newspaper where people sell their, you know, stuff, Yeah. you know, buying something that see, oh, you know, maybe I can buy this bike and then make it a little bit better and then resell it. Right. Like I was always trying to, uh, come up with the, these kinds of uh, ideas yeah and i guess having Most a full-time fail, job yeah and i guess having the full-time job just didn't really appeal to you no no it, it, it's more because i i like to work hard like work is i always enjoy working on and i i feel i always felt that if you work for a boss it's like you know you just work for a paycheck it doesn't really matter how hard you work or how much you know it's 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 not like when you're an entrepreneur, it's really like if you put a lot of, you know, time and effort in it, then the rewards also could reflect that. Yes. With a day-to-day job, it's not so much. Yeah, you can get a promotion, but it's a very slow, long process. Um, so I never really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, y you and me both. So, <laughs> so yeah. I want to talk about um, obviously the the soap opera blog. Uh, so we're going to yeah. fast forward a few years now. You've tried and tinkered with all these different ideas. Um, most of them failed. And at any point when you were going through all these failures, did you think, oh, maybe I'm not good at this? No. no. You were just like, I'm going to keep going until something works. Yes, because I, I, it's, it's not so much that, yes, I had a feeling, okay, maybe I'm not good at this particular, like maybe I'm not good at running a construction company or maybe I'm not good at, you know, whatever it was selling pinatas uh, online <laughs> yeah so and and i i did have small successes right like the construction company grew really fast i learned a lot but then made mistakes so you know you could see it both ways like yeah it was it could be a failure or it could also have been you know you know in a young age was able to grow grow to you know uh over 20 employees uh same with the pinata was you know it was not a home run it was a small success and it's, there were all learning lessons uh along the way and even the big big failures where like i i did a a big party a promotion and i lost all my money like literally i put everything in uh in invested all my money in this one party um and i lost everything like nobody showed up this was a legit festival i tried to <laughs> okay like, uh, I had the best intentions, put all my money in it. And then, uh, yeah, instead of, I, I needed 2000 people to break even to show up, right. To buy a ticket, only 200 were there. Oh, no. long, yeah. I lost everything. Uh, actually had to sleep in my uh, office, uh, because I had to rent out my house, uh, because you know, I couldn't afford that anymore. I had to sleep in the office. Oh, so, yeah, it was a huge failure. Uh, but I learned a lot of lessons as well that I still apply to today. So it's really a journey. Like, you know, I think uh, Eric Thomas is like a, a speaker. He, he always says, like, he failed forward. And I'm, I'm a really believer in that, that, you know, you fail, you fall down, you get up again, but you learn from it. You, as long as you move forward, uh, you, you keep learning from it. Yeah. Um, and that's that's... That's how I, I, I see it, actually. Yeah. So, so after this massive failure, sleeping in the office, you mm -hmm. you decide to start a soap opera blog. Um, no, actually, uh, that was still back uh, back home uh, in 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 Holland, and um, I started a, a different business that uh, ended up doing well, um, and then I actually made enough money. And then I moved to the United States. Um, what was that business? Uh, it was back in, 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 in Holland. It uh, was legal uh, for grow houses. Right. Uh, so it was in the, in the grow house space. Right. And that was a... Did you exit that business or is it still running today? No. Um, I just exited that and then... Um, and uh, moved actually after that i moved to the united states okay so you moved to the united states moved first to vegas uh, my ex-wife was living there uh, moved to vegas uh, and then i started an online travel company uh, with uh, a very good a childhood friend of mine we started an online business where uh, we sold business and first class flight for mainly business travelers um, started at, um, was, was doing okay. Um, no home run again. 
but after a couple of years, I was a little bit, uh, you know, I had enough of that. So I, I sold my shares and then I started my soap opera blog. Right. And um, I guess at that point, like you said, you were just a bit tired of the travel business. Um, mm-hmm. And then what made you start the soap opera blog? Because from yeah. what I understood, you, you had various other blogs, but or you tried various other categories, but soap opera seemed to have it stood out. Correct. So and everybody asks me, because I don't watch soap operas, and I'm also not, you know, uh, the, the demographic that watches soap operas. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Yeah, even though, uh, so back then I was starting, I was already starting to buy and sell small websites. And back then I used Flippa, Flippa.com. It's like a marketplace where you can sell and buy websites. So I was already um, buying small sites of $1,000, make them better, and then try to sell them for five, right? Like very small, small scale. Um, And I think I've done like 25 of those smaller deals. Mm. And then I... You know, I, I I came up with a strategy. It was not like that I came up with it. It's like that back then was the Facebook golden age where it was very easy and cheap to build a fan page of uh, any topic. You invest a couple hundred dollars and you can have like 100,000 fans or likes on your uh, fan page. Wow. And then it was very easy to drive traffic from that fan page to a site. So I knew how to draw, drive traffic from Facebook, I just didn't know. Okay, what uh, what we're we gonna do? Are we gonna do? Uh, we're gonna sell product. Is it gonna be content? So um, I started 12, 13, I forgot 11, whatever the number around that number. Different topic fan pages. So a fan page about uh, politics, a fan page about sports, a fan page about cars, a fan page about all kinds of things, but also one about soap operas. Right. And then the idea, then, uh, sorry, just as, when you were starting these yeah. fan pages, you were trying to drive traffic to these pages to get likes so you can ultimately send them somewhere else. That was the end goal. But at that, what, at this moment, was still sort of speak this testing phase. Right. So I just wanted to see, okay, what, which topic are the fans super engaged? And then I would look at, okay, if I post a picture of a car or a soap opera actor or whatever from the fan page, how people will react, how many people share, how many people comment, how many people like. Um, and it happened to be that the soap opera was the highest engagement. Like whatever I posted, just a random picture of an actor will get massive engagement compared to all the other topics. Mm. Um, and so I said, okay, this is clearly a winner. Um, I don't know anything about soaps. So let's find a writer that knows how uh, to write articles about soaps. So I went on, uh, back then was Odesk. It's a freelance platform that you can hire writers and designers, whatever you need. Um, put an ad out and found a writer that uh, happened to be writing about soap operas for the last 20 years. Wow. What, what, so, the, what are the chances of that? <laughs> yeah. And, well, actually, it's funny. It was... Uh, Finding writers for soap opera was actually fairly easy, oh. but uh, yeah, I found her and she, all, uh, up to today, she's still around, she's still working for the website, so wow. it's, uh, it's amazing. Um, put a, bought a domain, put a very simple WordPress uh, site up, 
with a logo made in photo uh, or like paint, Microsoft Paint, whatever. Yeah. Super ugly. And then we just started with one article a day. And then, you know, starting to post it on the fan page and then see will people click on it, will people read the article and things like that. That's how it really uh, started. Wow. And so, what you know, I just want to take a few steps back. So in terms of measuring engagement on Facebook, what was yeah. kind of like the standard? Like, how did you measure a successful post? Was it 100 likes, 1,000 likes? Uh, you know, was there a specific, a specific number that you had in mind that you say, okay, this is good engagement? Um, to be honest, I did have a specific, not a number, but more percentage, okay, of the, you know, uh, 10% likes, you know, so if you have your fan page of 100K, you get 10,000 likes, it was great. I, I only forgot the metrics that I back then used because Facebook kept changing their algorithms yeah. so that, you know, nowadays, if you have 100,000 likes, if you get 1,000 likes, that's already massive, mm. right? So things change. But yeah, I used um, uh, a metric and more importantly, also compared the SOAP fan page to the car fan page, for example, right? and the other fan pages. Yeah. And, and read the comments too, like reading the comments, like are people passionate about it? Things like that. Uh, and um, yeah. Even though the car niche is also a great niche, by the way, like people are very passionate about cars. Yeah. Uh, say it's politics, um, but the, the soaps, I just noticed that um, they were like really engaged, very, very passionate. Yeah. yeah. And so you're posting on the soap opera blog once a day yeah. and you're driving traffic from the fan page to the blog. Correct. And what was, I guess, when was what was kind of like the inflection point where you were like, okay, there's momentum here, you know, I need more writers. Like how were you growing the the site? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's like looking backwards is always like, uh, Oh, it sounds easy and stuff. And, yeah. <laughs> and, but it took, it took a couple of months before it really worked, so to speak, or really that like that I said, okay, this blueprint works uh, because it didn't happen. Like, on the first article. Um, so it took three, four months, maybe five months before I saw, okay, Hey, if I post this kind of article around this time, we get a, a lot of clicks, right. uh, or enough, or it brings in enough revenue to, to pay one writer, so to speak. Um, so it took a couple months of testing different, types of articles, testing, you know, different titles and different images. And, mm. and, and in the meantime, also building up that fan page. Um, and then I started a Facebook group that was also very uh, uh, massive, actually, because the people love to talk with each other about the soaps. And then if I posted then an article in the group, that will also get uh, tons of traffic back to the website. So you had a fan page and a group. Correct. Okay. All focused and, around soaps. Yeah. Now, and actually, to even dive it deeper, not focus on soaps, but focus on a specific soap opera. Oh. So, I tested out a fan page just about all the soaps, and that was failing. Was not really working. Uh, but when I created a fan page 
about one show. So all the posts, all the pictures, all the videos, all the articles are just about a specific show. That worked amazing. Right. And then was the group based on the show as well? Yeah. Huh. And then I had, uh, so in the United States back then, there were, or still now, there are four different soap operas. So I had four different fan pages uh, for each specific soap. And then uh, four different Facebook groups. And then I built a website that had had four different sections. So each section had, it was about one soap opera. Right. So when you sign up for, if, if you click on an article, you're on fa- Facebook, you click on the article, you read my article, you sign up for my newsletter, then you would only get content or articles, news uh, emails about that specific show that you signed up for. Interesting. So yeah, it's a big difference maker. Yeah. So so yeah, there's 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 so many things I wanna I wanna dive into here. So so we have multiple Facebook groups, we have multiple pages, but we've got one website on yes. different verticals. And yeah. then you started to build an emailing list. So talk to me. Did you have different content for each? Uh, for example, let's say you're talking about one show, right? This show, you'll post an article in that group and on that fan page, and then you'll have that person's email. Did you have different content for all of those different touch points, or was it the same kind of article? Or, like, how did it work per day, and how often did you post? Yeah. So we used... Um, so eventually, after, you know, 9, 12 months, we... we, we Know, created some workflows and, and editorial calendars so that we post, okay, every day we post an article about what happened yesterday in their show. And then we post one article about what's going to happen tomorrow. And, uh, you know, maybe a bio article that talks about an actor. And the flow what was very simple. We we posted on the fan page. Oh, sorry, we uh, published on the website. Then we post it on Facebook, put it in the group, uh, tweet it out, Instagram, and then send that article in a newsletter to the e- in the email. Um, and then also what really worked well is called push notifications. Push notifications is uh, similar like what you see on your phone, where you, some of your apps sometimes, you know, send you a message, yeah. right? Like, hey... The latest deal or whatever. It's just browsers have the same functionality that's called push notification, hmm. um, and uh, that also really worked well to drive traffic. So we eventually we had like fifteen to twenty-five articles a day written by wow. our writers. How many writers and did you have at that point? So two, sort of speak, in-house that were remote, but in-house, and then two, three remote. Uh, but that, that changed. Some sometimes we had more writers. Um, you know, sometimes I, I thought, okay, would it help if we have a lot of writers, and or is it better just to have a handful of writers? And so that went up and down. But at the end, uh, we had two in-house and uh, three, I think, uh, remote. And at this point, uh, freelance. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. And so at this point your site is generating revenue and are you generating revenue you know how are you making money was it just through um impressions was it cpms uh was it sponsorship deals like what was the main source of revenue 
Yeah. When I started, I used Google AdSense, uh, just Google AdSense. So just display ads. Just display ads. And actually, throughout, up to I sold, actually, that was the main revenue, uh, revenue driver was display ads. Wow. Um, but... Yeah, I started using different ad networks, and instead of Google AdSense, I was able to get uh, to Google AdX as a different product of Google. Um, but I've tried a, I hired a direct uh, salesperson yeah. that would go to big brands like, let's say, Toyota, and then say, hey, we have here a soap opera blog. Do you want to buy advertising? Um, a lot of other publishers have great success with that. Uh, because you can charge whatever you want, basically, or you can charge more. Uh, but in my case, it didn't. Uh, it didn't work out. So what? after <laughs> we tested for three or four months. Why? Why did it not work? I mean, at that point, what was your traffic like, numbers-wise? So the, the traffic was um, uh, in. At that time, we were getting twenty million page views a month. Wow! And you couldn't um, close a brand partnership deal. We we did very small. So. It, it, it could be um, that the person that I, I hired the wrong person, maybe. Yeah. Um, it could be that it's also a different process. So when when you're working with a Toyota, getting a deal done is just a long process, right? Like Toyota is not going to – you cannot call Toyota today and then tomorrow get a check. Yeah, you have to get RFPs and do this and that. Yeah. And, and said reportings. So that's why w w then I said, you know what, let's just switch back to full programmatic so we can just focus on, you know, getting more traffic uh, and working with uh, uh, the different ad networks. Um, and that, you know, that worked really well. In the email, I did sell, uh, it's called e uh, solo uh, ads, is where you rent out your email list. So we had an email list of 800,000. Let's say you sell a product, uh, a supplement, and then you say, hey, Ramon, uh, can you send out this this sale that I have going on for my supplement? Can you send it out to your 8,000 emails? And then I would charge you, you know, five grand or whatever to re agree upon. Wow. So okay. I did that for email. Uh, oh. But on the website, it was all 100% uh, programmatic display ads. Okay, good. Good to know. Um, and so, okay, so the, the the blog is scaling. You have 20 million views a month, which is insane. And then, you know, you I guess, what were some of the challenges that you experienced? In, I mean, I know you just spoke about one in terms of like kind of the brand partnership side. But mm -hmm. were there any kind of issues? I mean, I know Facebook was very inconsistent with that algorithm throughout those years so like yes did you see any like significant drops like what were the issues that you were facing in those days yeah and it's that's with any business um they have their risks as well right so with a content site uh especially if you are depending on facebook you know facebook making a change right away you know you can wake up tomorrow and then your traffic is down 50 percent wow um, or, um, you know, Google, so Google search, Google, you know, you, we get a, a lot of traffic from Google SEO from the search results. If Google makes an, uh, an update, um, that will affect your, your, your traffic as well. Um, so it's, it's constantly these small, small things like, okay, Facebook, uh, made another, another update. Okay. Let's change our strategy. Um, 
or Google made another update or let's change their strategy. Um, so th those were the big, the big issues. And then, um, uh, you know, keeping the site up, making sure that it could, you know, could hold all the traffic. Um, yeah, they were all small, small, small issues. But in the beginning, when uh, you don't have really big budgets to have a lot of, you know, employees or people helping out when it's just you, yourself. Yeah, I had, I think the biggest issues were hosting, mm. um, where we grew so fast that I had to switch hosting companies because, you know, the ones that I was using couldn't handle the traffic spikes. Wow. And so how were you splitting your time at this point? Were you, because obviously you said initially you built the site on WordPress. I'm assuming it didn't change. No. Um, we actually, so I bought a template on Team Forest of $60 and up to today, actually the same template is running <laughs> on this site. <laughs> wow. It's, it's crazy. Um, um, and that was also internal, like, man, I, I know if I get a, a site built from scratch, that will probably be better, but I also don't want to mess anything up because anytime when you switch, switch hosting or switch a design, you know, or switch, you know, the layout that could, you know, screw up your, your revenue, it could screw yeah. up your, your things. Yeah. So, it could screw up your SEO, it could screw up, um, you know, Facebook ads. Yeah. I mean, it can mess up a lot of things. Exactly. Or even if your site is out, like if you're making, you know, some days we were making, you know, 10 to $20,000 a day, one day, you know, not having uh, the site up, you know, is a potential 20 K loss per day. Yeah, that's crazy. So yeah. 20 K a day. What, what was the CPM on, on those ads? So the RPM, um, I have to look it up, but I think our RPMs were around $18. Oh, that's high. For, for, yeah. For, so the, 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 the good thing with soaps, the, all the audience, 95% of the audience were women of 45 and up. Oh, wow. So they're so, clicking everything. <laughs> so what, what I've learned too, so if somebody is listening and thinking of starting a content site is not every topic is the same. Meaning, so I had also a site about wrestling. WWE and the main and that was actually the flip side so 95% of that audience was male and were young so in had more or less the same amount of traffic but only did I think 15 or 20% of the revenue of the soap site Wow so advertisers pay more money for you know, the demo, the soap opera demographic than the wrestling demographic. So if you start, if you want to start a content site, also think about what topic or demographic you're going to write about will get you more higher CPMs. Mm. And how do you, how do you figure out? I mean, I know you just mentioned kind of like the demographic for soap operas, but um, the CPMs, you know, how, how do you go about figuring out the topic and the demographic? And who decides on the, the, the CPMs? So how I test out ideas now is if, if, if I want to see the CPMs of a specific idea, let's say I want to write about uh, cars again, right? 
I would just put up the site up, like what with one article, two articles, um, and put Google AdSense banners on it, and then drive traffic, use Facebook ads, uh, or other ways if you if you know other ways. Uh, but Facebook ads is for me the, the quickest way. Uh, drive some traffic, and then you have at least a sense of an, um, an idea of what the CPMs are going to be. Yeah. So that's that's how I um, that's how I test CPMs. Now, how to come up with topics? I, I like to come up with ideas. So the good thing with soaps too was soap operas are aired every day of the year, like every from Monday to Friday, 52 weeks uh, a year. There are a couple of blackout dates. Um, but there's, so there's every day there's content to write about. So whatever you choose, also make sure there is enough content to write about. To give you an example, if you're going to start a blog about Game of Thrones, yes, it's super popular. People are big fans. But it only airs two months in the year, and then it's only uh, one time a week that it airs. Mm. Right? So there's not a lot of things you can write about Game of Thrones in itself. So I would never start a Game of Thrones fan website because there's just <laughs> not, not going to be enough content mm. to write about. Um, it's a different story if you do all primetime TV, uh, then it could work. Um, but yeah, so also look at CPMs, look at the demographic, look at, okay, how much content can I write about it? Um, and then also, um, in my experience, um, the more targeted or niche it is, the better. So, um, you know, maybe a lot of people think, okay, let's just find what is the most popular or has the biggest demographic or like the biggest audience. Um, but it's then very broad. Um, you know, I would pick something that is very niche. So instead of uh, writing about all, all sports, maybe start a blog about uh, a team, you know, yeah, Manchester or maybe Manchester United or like, you know, something, something niche. So you can build that rabbit fan base, like the community. Kind yeah. Of, uh, yeah. I mean, so obviously yeah. you do that extremely well because, um, you know, fast forward, you know, things are going well, you've got 20 million uh, uniques per month and then somebody knocks on the door and says, Hey, I want to, I want to buy you. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, by the way, it's not 20 million uniques, patriots, uh, 20 million patriots. Sorry. Yeah. But, um, then actually, I um, I went to a broker. So we're doing a lot of revenue, profit. Um, you know, it was pretty good. And uh, but then I talked to a, a broker because I still, in the meantime, I still was, even though I was running this one, I was still buying and selling other uh, side projects, other websites. And um, yeah, just talk to my broker that I always use, uh, Quiet Light Brokers, and uh, ask, hey, what do you think? Uh, you think, uh, what do you think? How much I could get for the soap opera side? And that's how that journey, so to speak, started of uh, preparing the site and the company to to list it on their website. Then they list it. 
talking to some potential buyers and yeah there was a whole process uh, of six uh, six months six months so so you actually went and shopped the the blog out i mean i guess at that point were you just like tired of it or you were just like you know this is doing well i want to i want to just you know sell up so i can focus on other projects and like what was the rationale behind deciding to sell because at that point it was a cash cow i guess you didn't really need to do much yeah um but in in internet businesses you know you hear sometimes the stories that you know uh people hold on too long uh on an asset and then you know it goes down it could go up but it also could potentially could go down yeah. Uh, nothing really lasts forever. Everything is always changing. Um, I had a team that all, you know, got profit shares. So I knew that if I sell this, you know, for some of the team members, this is a life changing event and including for me, because even though I had some small successes, you know, I never, I didn't, this was my first, you know, this was almost $9 million exit. Mm. That would be, you know, um, Life changing for me and and my, my my son and my my family as well. It was a a potential lifetime, you know, uh, you know, a life you know, changing opportunity uh, for me, but also for the team members. And I've done it for a couple of times. So me personally, I I really get excited by trying something and then see if it works and then building it out. But at that time the machine was running like I couldn't really, yeah, I could maybe, you know, maybe make the website a little bit faster or make it optimized here. And then we could go from, you know, $450,000 in revenue to 460,000. But that really didn't get me excited yeah. uh, anymore. So I thought, let's just sell it, you know, and, um, and then go start a new chapter. Start in a new life, chapter. So, so you yeah. eventually end up selling the blog from the, uh, just just under nine million or at nine million uh eight point seven five <laughs> wow that's a, a number yeah. a number you'll never forget <laughs> yeah. um eight point seven five you had no investors um yeah. no shareholders only the people that you know i guess like a share option pool where you you know you gave employees yes some stock um but ultimately yeah. you, you kept the pie which is amazing and I guess, I guess at some point you must have felt that, you know, if I raise, did you ever think about raising money or you just thought there's, there's no need? Um, well, I've, I've crossed my mind and, uh, a couple of times and talked to, you know, uh, I had also three advisors, uh, Sam Parr from The Hustle uh, yeah. was one. So I talked to Sam. You know, Sam Parr, Sam um, Parr's been on the show. Yeah. And a uh, great friend and uh, he advised me and, you know, talked about it. and there was really no, you know, no need. I think uh, we were cash flow positive. Um, so I, I just wanted to keep, keep it uh, bootstrapped. You know, there's some upsides and downsides of raising money um, and uh, for that particular idea for the soap opera side, it didn't make sense to, uh, to go out. Uh, so very quickly, I put that idea uh, aside. So, and the, yeah, the good thing is that when you sell, you know, majority, you know, besides some advisors and, and the employee uh, pool, uh, you can keep the, all the, the most of the, the, the shares. You keep, yeah, no, which is incredible. Um, 8.75, amazing outcome. Um, and so you sell the blog, um, it's still running, um, and then you decide to do what next? 
Yeah. So that's uh, when I made a, a, a mistake. When I sold it, um, I went out and bought a couple different internet businesses. And um, yeah, I should have actually, uh, everybody told me like, okay, take this win, relax for a couple months, just <laughs> chill, you know, and enjoy the moment. And, uh, and I did not like, um, by the way, that whole exit was very uh, anticlimactic, like meaning that um, everybody asked like, how was it? How did you feel? You know, and to be honest, on the day when that money hit the bank account, um, yeah, we had a glass of champagne in the office, but then after 30 minutes, we all went back to work. And, uh, <laughs> at five o'clock, I again had to pick up my son and cook dinner for him and feed him and do his homework. And the next day I went back to, to the office. Wow. Right. So it's really, uh, you hear this all the time when, but it's really true. It's like, it's really not what it seems like. It's like, you know, yeah, life gets easier, but everything still stays the same, at least in my case. Um, I mean, did you have to, how long did you have to continue working for the blog before you could officially kind of leave and transition out? Yeah. Um, so we had an agreement that um, um, I will be uh, at least, what was it actually? I think a month to really help with the transition. Yeah. Um, uh, but I have a, a part of the, the deal was also an earn out, mm. uh, meaning that, uh, you know, they, if the website continues doing what they used to be doing, so to speak, then, uh, I get the last portion of, uh, the money. Uh, so I'm still helping out wherever the new owner wants, or he can always call me or whatever he needs. Um, I'm, I'm there, but I think after a couple of weeks, I was really, um, I didn't have to do anything because the team, the whole team moved to the new owners. Oh, okay. So, so they kept the writers, like you yeah. said. Kept the writers, the video team, the ads, te like everybody that was involved just moved, uh, moved along to the new owner. Awesome. So it was a very easy transition. Yeah. Nice. And so instead of you to take a break, you decided to carry on buying internet businesses and I'm assuming they didn't all go well. Well, they all, so they're all profitable, but it's not w what I expected, so to speak. So when you buy, when you look at the deal, you say, okay, um, if I, you know, this is a great uh, property, but they're missing out on X, Y, Z. If I buy this and I will, you know, I can do this and this and this and this, and that probably will, you know, increase the revenue by three or three X or four X. And some of the, deals, you know, it worked. Some of the ones uh, didn't, right? They didn't grow or they didn't grow as I expected. Right. And you were buying these companies on, on Flipper again? No, no, no. Flipper, um, I've not bought or sold for, for many years now. Um, I exclusively use brokers um, oh. because the quality of the deals are much higher. On Flipper, anybody can just list their, their website. Yeah. So, there's a lot of uh, also, you know, sketchy um, sites for, for sale that show you have to be careful what you buy. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, brokers like, quiet, if you Google Quiet Light Broker, uh, um, these are uh, brokers that have real businesses. 
that right. you can buy, like real websites. So I want, I want to switch gears now and talk a little bit about um, e-commerce. So you, right. like you said, you're involved in e-commerce now. Um, you know, when we spoke earlier, you said you had a number of e-commerce stores, um, like Shopify stores, some of them doing as high as, you know, 400K a month, which is insane. Yes. So talk to me about e-commerce. Now, you've moved away from kind of blogging and, and the content side. Now you're doing e-commerce. So how are you building e-commerce stores? Uh, can you talk to me about one of the stores? Um, I know you have something in the in the kind of like the pet space. Um, yeah. you know, how did you build that store up? Why pets or, you know, such a competitive space? Um, and, and, and like kind of walk me through that journey too. Yeah. So similar, like how I looked at, uh, the soap opera, like the content. Um, I also look at the e-com like is, is the audience doesn't really matter if you sell, sort of speak, quote unquote, sell content or sell product, right? Like is the audience engaged mm. is it an is it a how's the fan base um things like that um i like the pet space uh it's super saturated and the competition is is really is really high but people love their pets yeah uh, people love spending money on their pets and and they're spending more and more money on it um and because i come from the content space you with pets, you can use content to drive sales. Uh, because in my opinion, you know, you can use really good, like you can use content, either video or images or articles to drive sales. So I bought this site, I didn't, um, or this, you know, e-com business. Um, and, um, you know, I see, oh, this is built on a different platform like Shopify. It's a horrible conversion rate. The conversion rate is, is below the industry average. So mm. I think, okay, if we switch to Shopify, we can increase revenue by just switching the platform. Um, oh, they they use uh, a 3PL. So when you sell products, you can either ship, you know, you can ship it from your own house, but then you have to pack it yourself and go to the UPS, what's a horrible yeah. model in my opinion. So you can use a company that will ship it for you. Now, in this case, the old owner just had, you know, a very bad deal with this warehouse. So we switched to a different company and then we were able to, you know, increase profit. And then when we begin, we're able to increase profit, we can spend more on advertising. Right. Um, so when you look at a deal, when you buy something, I, I, I try to look at what opportunities are there that I can improve this company, this website, right. uh, by just, and so did you take the same approach with the pet, the pet product as in Facebook page, a fan page, and then a, a, a group, fan group, and then content, yeah. content, content, pay for traffic, and then um, send people to the site? Cor correct. So nowadays, you kind of have to pay. It's called pay for play, right? Like you have to pay uh, Facebook. There's some organic traffic possible from Facebook, but mostly it's all you have to pay. But it's the same approach. Fan pages, groups, the the nichier, the targeted the fan page, the better. So instead of a fan page about all animals from birds to dolphins, we have fan pages <laughs> about, you know, a very specific, um, you know, animal or even a subcategory of an, like, you know. So um, uh, emails is great too. Like building email lists um, is very valuable. Um, 
Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to talk to you about that. How, how do you go about building an email list? Yeah, so for the soap opera, I, I've built, I got a 300, close to 350,000 emails by just coming up with a quiz saying, find out what soap actor you are. And those, those were these, for sure you've seen those in your news feeds uh, yeah. <laughs> a couple years ago, like find out, you know, what... Uh, super action hero you are whatever um and then it's just a quiz where you answer a couple questions like you know uh whatever like what food do you like and you know really random questions and then based on your answers you get an answer like you get a you're like oh you you're a batman or you know whatever and um so i created that quiz for the soap operas and that generated a lot of emails um so there are tons of ways to, to generate emails. Of course, you can do the simple pop-up on the website, but the conversion rates are horrible. Nobody really likes the, the mm. pop-ups. Um, if you have an e-com, you, you, you gather emails when a person buys. But you know, think, try to think outside the box. You know, come up with quizzes um, that people does, do the quiz in order to get the result. They have to leave their email. Um, or start an, uh, an ambassador program. Sam had a big success there with the hustle where, you know, if you refer five or 10 friends, you get a free sticker or, mm. you know, get, you know, refer 25 and you get, you know, a free t-shirt. Uh, so that's another way. Um, contests, you know, just straight up giveaways uh, depends on the audience. Uh, if you have an e-com, then it could work. Um, yeah. Just thinking outside the box and, and really focusing on collecting the emails. Because in my mind, I see each email that I collect is money. Right? Yeah. Like it's extra. So How, I see it really as an asset. Like, yeah. And with the emails, are you sending out product every day? Are you sending out content every day? Yes. Um, so with the soap, was was I really spammed uh, the shit out of the list. Uh just sending out as much content as possible, uh, like content, articles, articles, articles. Uh, with ecom, you have to find the balance and you have to test, right? Like I try to just always do something, test it and see if it works. If people backfire, then you change it, if that makes sense, right? Like, so if, but what works for us is a combination of content, like articles, informative articles, about you know this audience that we think oh this this will be helpful for this audience um and with some sales emails in between or below the article you have a couple you know products of, of the store okay. um yeah oh super interesting um and i guess for the site itself i know you said you're you're driving traffic to uh, you know, the, the fan page um, and then the groups. And I guess, um, you know, that's how you're ultimately advertising the product. And so ultimately you're doing drop shipping for these Shopify stores. No, 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 we don't. We, we have our own products. Ah, okay. And we manufacture it um, in China and uh, we have warehouses, uh, one in the UK, one in Australia, one in, or several in the United States. Interesting. 
Uh, so I thought yeah. I don't know why I thought you were dropshipping. So so you manufacture in China, and then I guess those warehouses speak to the manufacturers, and then they take care of kind of fulfillment and everything. Correct. So the manufacturer sends out the product to the different warehouses. Then the warehouse takes everything. It's connected. Their system is connected with Shopify. So person places an order, directly goes to the warehouse. The warehouse package the the products and it ships it out. And then, how did you find these warehouses and suppliers? So there was a whole, um, yeah, there was a. Uh, several month process talking with different warehouses uh so if you are looking into it um, i recommend highly to uh talk with as many warehouses as possible get quotes and then you can negotiate so much basically every little charge or surcharge or price you can negotiate with the warehouse don't just you know go along with the first uh quote that they give you right and then do, how does it work? Do you have to pay rent or is it per product that's sold? Um, I guess it, it varies per place, right? It varies, uh, but in general, you pay for storage, yeah. right? So because that makes sense, right? They have to pay the, 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 the building as well. So you pay for, for, for storage specific. You pay in some cases for inbound. So if you have to, you know, like, if you ship them stuff, then they have a small surcharge. Uh, but the majority of what everybody has, it's called a pick and pack fee. So for each item that they have to pick and pack, there's a like a $1.50 or $2.50 or $3 per item. Mm. And then they have shipping. So the shipping rates too, like the bigger the warehouse company, it's called 3PL company is, the better shipping rates they can negotiate with FedEx or UPS or whatever. Yeah. Like if you and I just go to the FedEx, uh, we're going to pay, you know, through the nose, like <laughs> yeah. super high. But these 3PLs, because they ship so much, they are able to get way better deals, uh, shipping rates. Yeah, so obviously they benefit from economies of scale. They can send thousands of yeah. products out a day. So it makes sense. They get cheaper rates. Yeah. Okay. And interesting. Some some uh, companies, some friends of mine that run ecom, they do fulfillment in house, you know, uh, and that's. But I think if you just, I just want to focus on generating more sales and not worry about, you know, if if today we shipped out everything that we had, things like that. So I think you can scale much faster and quicker and easier if you just outsource that. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see people make with their Shopify stores? Um. Well, everybody makes mistakes, me too, but I think um, the problems that will arise is that you have to consider is cash flow. So when you are growing, you need to order more inventory. And right, so if you have to, we have the same problem that it takes us two months for our products to be manufactured and uh, shipped to the warehouses. Mm-hmm. So in order, so we have to actually now order more because we, we're growing so fast. So we, you know, instead of 5,000 units, we have to buy now 10,000 units. Um, and if you don't have the cash flow, then you have a problem. Like I've, I've seen several uh, other, you know, friends in e-com that they are growing, but they don't have the cash flow to buy uh, new inventory because hmm. it's all. So, so that's one. Uh, cash flows is a 
could be a potential issue. Um, and um, I think also uh, Facebook ads is really good, but also could you know cost you a lot of money. So I think if you have a winning product, is focusing on on scaling that specific product. Like don't start selling you know twenty different SKUs or t- twenty different products, and then try to uh, you know drive traffic to all these twenty. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I want to work towards wrapping up now, um, and I tend to ask all guests kind of like these rapid-fire questions, so um, I'm going to go ahead and ask you these questions and and let me know your answers as fast as possible. So, what has or who has been your biggest inspiration? Uh, (laughs) Damn. All right. There there, there are a lot. Uh, Sam Parr is is an inspiration. I think, you know, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I'll, Jack Smith, the, the vulnerable guy, he's he's awesome. Yeah. Um, Sampa, I really like Sam. I mean, when he was on the show, I think he was at 400,000 um, subscribers on the mailing list, and now it's, you know, well over a million. Um, yeah. And I, I just love his philosophy around, you know, when it comes to entrepreneurship, some people just get too fancy. <laughs> yeah. uh, especially, and, especially in San Francisco. Like, it's 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 crazy it's yeah. really like People get everybody fancy. raises money yeah. and wastes money and uh that's why sam and i get get along because we both have the same mindset like you know yeah build something fancy offices and just you know build stuff yeah build focus. stuff and focus on revenue and you don't need to raise tons of money no i love it um so okay second question favorite podcast uh, funny enough, I don't listen to podcasts. Uh, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Dude, you've done uh, like a million interviews on podcasts. I mean, <laughs> Sean, Sean Puri, the, uh, my first million. Uh, that's, uh, I think, through his podcast, actually, we connected, I think. So yeah. I will vote for uh, Sean Puri's podcast. We'll, yeah, we'll go with, with Sean. Uh, favorite blog? Favorite blog really depends on... Uh, like now I'm in, in e-com, so I like uh, e-com uh, fuel uh, as, uh, as a blog at this moment. Okay. Uh, favorite book? The bio from Kirk, Kirk Kirkodian, I think that's what it's called. Uh, he founded MGM. Uh, really cool uh, story, how he built it. Like, yeah, high school dropout, similar story like me, so to speak, but in a different time and he built a massive, uh, massive company. Awesome. Uh, favorite Instagram account? Uh, I am hardly on Instagram. So I have, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. I'm not on Instagram. That's fine. Uh, oh, Twitter. Well, okay, favorite Twitter account? Same story. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm not on Twitter. Like, that's why, like, when Sean had me in the podcast, like, how can people follow you? I said, I don't know. Like, I'm not really on the social media shit and trying to, uh, like, find on LinkedIn. Like, yeah, LinkedIn. That's how we connected. I, I, LinkedIn. Yeah. So I'm not on Twitter. I, I do have an Instagram account, but I think I have four pictures in the last five years. So, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'm just trying to build stuff and, and work, so to speak. Yeah, and, no, uh, I love it. That's great. Yeah. Um, What's the advice you would give to your 21-year-old self? Oh. Uh, the advice would be get actually started more faster in the internet uh, with internet. That's the 
but besides that, I'm actually happy that even all the failures, I'm super happy I, I experienced those. Um, I, but yeah, just the so, same cliche shit. Like, yeah, get you know. started sooner. No, I get it. Um, what would you do if you had a hundred dollars in your favorite city? Hundred dollars in my favorite city. So my favorite city in this case is Barcelona. I would uh, actually. I would do this. This is something new. I just found out that Air, Airbnb has this uh, new thing, like Airbnb experiences, yeah. where you can hire a local to do some fun shit with that person. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Cool. Um, what's the one thing that startups should ignore in the early days? Listening too much to other people. Just focus on building and not so much on... Yeah, focusing on what matters and, and not so much on, you know, potential outcomes or like, uh, so for example, and I made this mistake before too, when I was young, that I had an idea and then I started wasting time on writing a business plan and creating a business card and going to the printer for a business card. I didn't have a fucking product and I was like <laughs> spending so much time on business plans and, you know, a fancy website and, you know, and then six months in, a, the momentum or the motivation is gone or you find out that the idea actually sucks or they don't work or yeah. like it's it's not working. So now if I have an idea, I try to just get it as soon as possible started first. And don't listen. Like if, if, if you ask your, your mother like, hey, I have a business idea. Do you like it? Of course she's going to say yes. But it's not really a validator. Mm. Right. So the only real validator, even your friends, they're all going to say, oh, this is an amazing idea. Uh, everybody has ideas. I actually posted today on LinkedIn a quote from somebody saying that, you know, uh, it's, it's not really so much about the ideas, it's about the execution. Everybody has an idea. Um, so focus on what matters, uh, on whatever you're building and don't listen to the noise and, 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 and don't, you know, don't be fancy. <laughs> that's good um so what's your vision i mean i know you've got all these multiple stores right now i typically ask yeah. this question of founders who are kind of like working on like one thing and then trying to go for that ipo or raise like another series h or whatever you want to call it so what is your vision for i guess your life at this point yeah so i'm actually a maybe a weirdo, especially here in San Francisco. I don't really have a vision of a dream like an IPO or like I want to build a billion dollar company. Um, uh, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing and it's just, you know, starting fun, small projects and try to get, build them into something bigger, sell them, uh, help people. Um, you know, I, I love, you know, same with the soap where I hired somebody as my assistant and now, you know, she had a great life changing exit as well. And she was able to buy a house and now she is uh, a CEO of another internet business. Right. So totally transformed uh, her life with, uh, and yeah, I, I just love keep doing that thing. Things like that. Awesome. Ramon, so, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. I know people can't find you, but if people do want to find you, where can they find you? LinkedIn, you said. Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. You can search, search me. Or uh, to be honest, so besides you, like I, I'm getting a lot of cool responses from that uh, podcast that I did. Uh, I think it's called My First Million. Yeah. So 
I, I love helping people if it's if wherever I can, or you know, uh, I don't see myself really as an advisor, so to speak. But if somebody, you know, wants to connect or have questions, I'm more than happy to uh, to help. Uh, my email uh, is Ramon at vanmeer.com, or search me on LinkedIn, and awesome. more than happy to uh, to uh, to give my two cents. Awesome, thank you, Thanks. and talk to you soon. Just want to say another huge thank you to Ramon for coming on the show and dropping all that knowledge on us and giving us some really useful tips on how to drive traffic and grow an engaged audience. As always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you haven't already, please leave us a review and subscribe on the Apple Podcasting app or anywhere else you listen to your favorite podcast. They honestly do go a long way. Until next time, guys, keep grinding.